Leaning on the everlasting arm Now what a fellowship and what a joy divine Leaning on the everlasting arms And what a blessedness, what a peace is mine Leaning on the everlasting arms Oh, I'm leaning, leaning Safe and secure from all alarms I'm leaning, yes, I'm leaning Leaning on the everlasting arms And oh, how sweet to walk in this pilgrim way I'm leaning on the everlasting arms Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day Leaning on the everlasting arms Oh, I'm leaning, I'm leaning Safe and secure from all alarms Oh, I'm leaning, leaning Oh, I'm leaning on the everlasting arms Now what have I to dread and what have I to fear I'm leaning on the everlasting arms I have blessed peace with my Lord so near Leaning on the everlasting arms Oh, I'm leaning, oh, I'm leaning I'm safe and secure from all alarms I'm leaning, yes, I'm leaning I'm leaning on the everlasting arms Let's sing this again Now what have I to dread? Now what have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms I have blessed peace with my Lord so near on the everlasting arms Oh, I'm leaning Yes, I'm leaning Safe and secure From all alarms I'm leaning Oh, I'm leaning I'm leaning On the everlasting arms Oh, I'm leaning I'm leaning Safe and secure Sit home on high when the redeemed are gathering in. I will raise the heavenly anthem in that city and the sky when the redeemed are gathering in. Now, when the redeemed are gathering in, we're washed like snow and free from all sin. How will shout and how will sing. Gathering in, there will 
great procession over on the streets of gold when they redeem our gathering in. Oh, what music, go oh, on singing, or the city will be rolled when they redeem our gathering in. And when they redeem our gathering in, we wash like snow and free fall sin. How will shine? gathering in the saints will sing redemption story with their voices clear and strong when the redeemed are gathering in then the angels all will listen for they cannot join that song when the redeemed are gathering in oh in the redeemed are gathering in washed like Orders to prepare the banquet board when they redeem. Gathering in, and we'll hear his invitation. Come, be blessed of the Lord when they redeem. Our gathering in. Now, when they redeem, our gathering in, we wash like snow and breathe from all sin. that same energy going here. I was told uh, that some of us didn't have a parachute this evening, that they were only high octane, so we'll go with that for a little bit here, I guess. So let's sing that song of Feel My Way Every Day. As uh, we go along here, I'm glad that uh, we have someone who can feel our, our way here and walk with us. So let me walk, blessed Lord, in the way thou hast gone, leading straight to the land above, and giving cheer everywhere to the sad and the lone. Fill my way every day with love. So fill my way every day with love. As I walk with the heavenly dove, and let me while with a song and a smile Fill my way every day with love So keep me close to the side of my Savior and guide Let me never in darkness roll And keep my path free from wrath And my soul satisfied Fill my way every day with love So fill my way every day as I walk with the heavenly dove And let me go all the while with a song and a smile Fill my way every 
change the order of our service here. We'll throw out a parachute now for those who don't have one. Um, let's sing that song, Only Believe, before we take our prayer requests here uh, this evening. So only Glad to see them back there. It's always good to see them here at church, so we just want to welcome you this evening. Um, but we do want to continue to remember uh, the drums who are still not able to be with us, so we just want to continue to remember to remember them. Um, I also have a prayer request here for uh, Annie Mail. She uh, injured her foot, so we just want to uh, remember her this evening. Um, also, just continue to remember uh, Brother Luke and Sister Haley as they travel. And I believe they're making their way back this coming weekend, so we just want to remember them in prayer. Um, and just continue to remember the Smiths, uh, who are still not able to be with us, but just continue to remember them. And uh, that is all the prayer requests I have here written down, but I know we all have unspoken prayer requests. So just by the lifting of your hand, the Lord knows that need. Let's just bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we're just... So thankful, Lord, to gather in your house once again this evening. We pray, Father, you would just be with these special needs, Lord, that were mentioned tonight. Lord, we know you're omnipresent, Lord, and can minister, Lord, wherever we are. We pray that you can just touch them, Lord. Pray, Lord, you be with the remainder of the song service, Lord, tonight, and that you be with uh, the pastor, Lord, as he brings the word. We love you. We thank you. We ask it all in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats. I don't 
don't have uh, any specials this evening, so we'll just uh, move on here and we'll sing a couple songs before Brother Barry comes this evening. Let's uh, sing that song, I Give You My Heart. So this is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you, all I have within me.
so glad that blood will never lose its power. Amen. We'll go ahead and move into the service, though, this evening. We'll take up our tithes and offering, and I'll ask Brother Tom if he can pray over the tithes and offering. as Brother Barry comes this evening, let's sing that chorus again. For it reaches to the highest singing like you mean it tonight. All right. God bless you all. We welcome you all in the name of the Lord Jesus tonight, and it's good to be in the house of the Lord uh, with everybody. I'm going to let you take your seats tonight, uh, and musicians, we'll let you take your places there. And uh, I just want to do a couple of quick announcements here, and a couple of prayer requests, and then we'll read the scripture, and we'll have you... Um, Stand and, and pray with me here. It is good to have the Hughes back. It is good to have Pierce back. It is good to have all of you back. And I appreciate you coming, being here uh, this evening. I am excited uh, to announce to you that we have physical copies of our newsletter. Uh, and if you have not uh, seen that, I've got a bunch in the lobby there, so you're certainly welcome to uh, take a look at that. This is uh, Vision Books, and uh, it describes uh, in some detail about things that we're, uh, we have been doing. And uh, I'm going to give the church an update here just a little bit. Uh, things are moving pretty fast, so we're going to give the church an update on uh, what's actually happened with Vision Books. And... Um, things that are going on in different parts of the world. Uh, but that newsletter is there for you to take it and take a look at it. And take a couple if you want to give them out to folks. It's certainly fine uh, to do that. Now, <clears throat> I wanted to uh, just give you a little reminder tonight. And this is uh, something that we do often, uh, probably not really quite often enough. Uh, and that is that we, we are coming into our summer season we're, uh, we're hanging, people are hanging around longer on the church property, which is great. Sundays hanging around in the church property, which is great. And uh, we're doing more events, uh, more things tend to happen, which is great. Uh, but as a result of that, we have more people moving around and we have kids in the parking lot. So most of you know where I'm going with this. 
and where I want you to go with this is in the parking lot to get your kids and make sure your kids are not wandering around the parking lot. Uh, we've had some uh, instances, and there always are, uh, you know, where we have little kids and they think mom and dad's out there or whatever else. They see their buddies go out there and they're moving between vehicles. And that becomes a dangerous scenario. So I'm putting everybody here on alert, not just our deacons. Our deacons are doing a great job. They, uh, they monitor as best they can. They've got, we've got electronic means. They're going to increase their rotations around. But I'm putting all of us on notice that uh, you young people as well, if you see some little kids that are out there moving around, just direct them to their parents because we do not want to have any sort of an incident. We'd rather be proactive than reactive. Okay, We'd rather be proactive and warn you to death rather than to have to report some bad news to some parent, assuming that their kids were somewhere they thought they were. And uh, this is for all of us. We all need to be vigilant here. We all need to be mindful of this. And also, not just because we have a, a parking lot full of vehicles, but because we live in a crazy world. And uh, we just, it's not like it was when you grew up. It was, it's not like it was, you know, 10 years ago. It's not like it was when I grew up. Uh, it, it is different. Things are different now. We off, we every, uh, almost every service, Brother Tom was telling me, we have somebody who comes on the property who's not coming to church. Almost every service. And that means that they're turning around, turning your vehicle around or whatever, uh, but we don't know. And you don't know. And so therefore, uh, we, we like to be able to come here to the property, relax, be able to enjoy family time and so forth. But you, you, I, let me remind you again, and I'm just trying to be proactive, you need to be mindful of where your children are, and you need to make sure that uh, they're in a safe place, okay? And we, we should not assume they are, you should know that they are. Uh, <clears throat> the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 that Noah begat three sons. The earth was also was corrupt. That word corrupt there means it was ruined, or in the south you'd say ruined before God. And the earth was filled with violence. And this is injustice and cruelty. So this is not the physical earth itself. This is the cosmos. This is the, the people of the earth. They were filled with injustice and cruelty. When you live in a world where there's a mass shooting, by definition, that occurs more than once a day, you're living in a world that's filled with injustice and cruelty. It's, it's violent. And I'm sorry, but God chose you to live in this hour, chose me we want to be vigilant. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. And for all flesh had corrupted his way on the earth. And God said unto Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence. This phrase is repeated several times here. And as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be now. And the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them, destroy the earth, make me an ark of gopher wood. And so, <clears throat> Brother Branham uh, uses this scripture, uses this thought many times because it is a scripture that pertains to the end time. I'm not preaching yet. I'm still on prayer requests, all right? So stay with me here. And Brother Branham talks about this, and he, uh, he talks about, uh, you know, uh, the Lord speaking and, and so forth. And he said, you know, God did great supernatural things. He said he's here tonight doing supernatural things again. And uh, just let me pick it up. Then he's here tonight manifesting himself, proving his great power, moving, same works he did back there moving down through the channels of mankind, down on this lower region where demons and everything lives down here on this proving ground. And there's Christians. 
So in the last day, there's this kind of melting pot where all of it meets on the same plane. And there are Christian saints of God, born-again believers. And around this great city where much violence and wickedness is, all cities, when the people begin to multiply on the face of the earth, and violence and wickedness sets in, it's worse today than any place everywhere across the world. So he's just identifying what the scripture is prophesying, and that as we live in a time, it's changed. And you know what? Uh, it, it, it is what it is. And therefore, we had to be mindful of that. So I don't know whether you're aware, but uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a gentleman who came to a church that was very close to here, uh, about a mile away, and came in with weapons into that church, and they escorted him off the property. Last Sunday, that same individual came back to that same church with two pipe bombs, one for the pastor, one for the treasurer. And uh, <clears throat> the police were called in, and it was a, a, obviously a, a big concern. The, the person got away, and they had to go to his home and arrest him uh, back there. So that's within a mile of our church here. And I'm only saying that to you because uh, this underscores uh, what we're all seeing in the world today and in our community, we're not exempt from it. So therefore, we have to be, unfortunately, we have to think about this. We have to be proactive and you have to be vigilant about making sure you know where your children are and making sure that they're in a safe place, they're with you, you know who they're with just so that we don't have uh, any incident here. Because there's some things we can control. Like last Sunday, I found some kids out here in, the, in that little fenced-off section where all the air conditioners and high-powered electrical lines are and so forth, and I found them in there. I told them to get out. Even though they were not my children, I told them to get out. And they did. But they shouldn't be in there in the first place. But there's some things that we can control. There's some things we can correct. But there's other things because we live, you know, around a wooded area here and we have a parking lot that's open. Uh, I, 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 hate, I hate to have to say things like this, but we do. And you know what? We're all a part of this. We all have to uh, be vigilant and be mindful of that. So if there's, uh, if there's some need for the deacons to be involved, hey, you know how to reach them or me or any way we can possibly help. Now, <clears throat> I wanted to... Uh, and that's an odd and unusual way to start off a service. Uh, but I wanted to just remind you of that because it, it is important that we keep that fresh in our minds. We have a, um, a sister who is the wife of the pastor I was raised under. Her name is Betty Lush. And she lives in St. John's, Newfoundland. Uh, I've known her for many, many, many years, and uh, she has uh, cancer, abdominal cancer. And I spoke to her today on the phone because she's going tomorrow into surgery. They're going to do a major uh, surgical exploration there. And uh, I told her, I said, I, I want to be, I want you to be assured that that Becky and I will be praying for you. And uh, I said, is it okay if, uh, if I mention it to the church? And she said, absolutely. I said, I will tell you, they're a good group of people to have on your team. And I said, they will pray. If I ask them to pray, they will pray. So her name is Betty Lush. She's going for surgery at 6.30 tomorrow morning. Uh, so if you don't mind remembering that need in prayer, she would certainly appreciate that. Also as well, I had a meeting today with somebody quite unexpectedly and uh, I, I had no idea that this was a, an issue. This is not a, per, a, a 
person who's a member of our church, but someone who does some very important work for our church. And I met him here today in, in the, uh, my office, and uh, he, was, he all of a sudden got very emotional. Uh, he was almost embarrassed that he was, uh, but he has a pretty serious situation happening in his family with his uh, intended marriage uh, and his work life. And then also on top of that, his son, whose name is Willie Christian, that's his middle name is Christian, uh, he has uh, got serious asthma issues. And he has spent uh, a lot of the last month or two in the NICU, uh, in the hospital, and so he's in pretty serious condition. And when he, he came to me in my office today, and I, we arranged to, to a time, and he said, I, I've, I've, heard, I've heard about you as being a uh, you know, pastor and so forth, and he said, I, I, just, I just know that uh, I could come and bring this, these needs before you. And I said, we surely will pray for you. And then he said, if you don't mind, he said, would you lay hands on me and pray for me today? He said, I was raised in church by my grandma. And he said, I know what I need to do in life. He said, I'm just going to pray that you, I'm asking you to pray that God will give me the strength to do what I need to do. So I told him I would, but he said my main concern at the moment is Willie Christian. He's two years old. I don't have a picture of him, but uh, we'd ask you to remember him in prayer as well. Also, uh, as well, tomorrow, uh, my grandson, William, is going to be going to a uh, neurologist, and uh, they're going to be, uh, uh, going to be assessing uh, all the results of the tests, the MRI uh, that they've done on William. He still has some symptoms left over from the incident that he had. They really don't know why he had it, uh, but he's going tomorrow to, uh, they're not really sure all of what they're going to do, but they're, they're going to have an assessment done uh, to see if there's any problem that they've missed along the way because the, the situation is still there. And so I told Will today, I called him and I told him, I said, Will, I uh, just want you to know that uh, I'll be uh, praying for you and uh, just trusting that the Lord will undertake for you and take away those symptoms. It's kind of like every time he opens his eyes, he sees that uh, blockage there. And when he closes his eyes, it's worse. And I told him, I said, we will surely pray for you. And uh, I said, I'll, I'll ask the church to do the same. So uh, in the same uh, context, if you don't mind remembering Sister Frida, uh, she's still struggling with that uh, issue that she had with that stroke in her eye and still has symptoms there. So we'd ask you to remember them as well. They're not here tonight, but they're listening. I'm in contact with them, and uh, we just trust that the Lord will undertake for them as well. Those are serious needs. All of the needs that have been presented tonight that Mitchell gave and so forth uh, are all serious. And I know there are still even more that are unspoken. But let's stand to our feet tonight and let's just look to him in prayer before we read out of the Bible. <clears throat> let's bow our heads together and if you have a need tonight, just, just in the quietness of this moment, I'd like you just to present that to him. Just from your heart. Now, no one needs to know. Just, just, just speak to him now. Heavenly Father, as we bow in your presence tonight, Lord, without... Any fanfare, Lord, because we know you're not impressed by loudness or length of prayers or anything like that, Lord. We know that you weigh our prayers. We know, Lord Jesus, you look at a sincere heart. And tonight, in the name of Jesus Christ, we bring every one of these needs before you. And 
Lord, some of them we know very little about. We, we don't know many details or anything else, but they come across our path. They, they intersect with us, Lord. And, and as the bride of Jesus Christ, Lord, we hold a, a position by grace. We hold a position before you. And so we come with confidence before your throne tonight and bring all of these requests before you and pray in the name of Jesus that you administer strength and healing to all those that have a need, Lord, especially the serious ones and the children, Lord, that we, we know are hurting tonight. We commit them into your care. Father, we ask that you would just move on the scene, Lord, because we know you're still the same yesterday as, as you always were, Lord. You're, you're the same, Lord, in every capacity, and so we're depending on that and we're drawing on that strength tonight. And Lord, as we talk about the times we live in and our our, our church property here, Lord, we, we cannot pray enough for the safety of our children and for everyone who's here. And Lord, may you just put a hedge around about us. But Lord, at the same time, may we be diligent and mindful, Lord, of, of where we are and the times that we live in. And Lord, we just want to say that we love you and we thank you so much for all your goodness to us. And Lord, just break the bread of life for us tonight. We lift our cups to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. let's take your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 8. Now, Brother Branham says, you say, well, why do you recall the people to be rebaptized?" He said, because I'm following the pattern of the beginning. He said, we can't lose that blueprint, right? Can't lose the blueprint. But the blueprint, it needs to be revealed. That's for sure. John chapter 8, this is the scripture verse that we use on all of our stationery as a uh, theme scripture for our church here. 30, as he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to the Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. May God at his blessing you may be seated. And we've been talking about these things that adoption teaches us, and it is a, uh, certainly, I think, a, a subject worth exploring. And uh, so I, I, I was looking at this subject, and I was just praying about the service tonight and looking at it, and then I took everything that I had prepared and laid it all aside and uh, changed uh, things around. But we want to deal with this subject of truth. I don't know how long we'll, we'll deal with this, but uh, I wanted to just stop here for a moment tonight. Now, as we, uh, we, we can use this word true in lots of different uh, situations because uh, Paul writes uh, that if we, um, if, if we know the truth and we turn away from it, you know, there remaineth no more sacrifice uh, for sin. So we have to be very careful about what we do with the truth that's presented to us. If it is really true, you've got to reckon with that. You've got to deal with that. It's, it's not enough for you to be a member. You've got to respond correctly to things that are true, things that come from God, right? And so uh, when somebody, also we could say when somebody has a true experience, uh, they go through a process of transformation, and that means that they are not influenced or shaped from outside external forces, but there's something inside that's pushing its way out. There's a life that's actually pushing its way out. And when that, life, when that life is the life of God, nothing can stop it. I said nothing can stop it. 
Satan will try to make you go overboard, go, you know, overreact this way and that way, but nothing can stop the true expression of the life of God. And I love this statement. I've learned to, uh, to love this scripture where Paul says, I both know, know how to be abased. In other words, I know what, a, I know what it feels like, and I'm not, I'm not defeated if I'm in a situation where I'm abased. In other words, if I don't have anything, if I, if I lose everything, he says, I know what that feels like. If, if I abound, I know what that feels like. And everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. But that does not influence my sonship. My new birth influences my sonship. That's all. Not whether I have a lot in the bank or whether I have none in the bank. Whether I feel good, whether I don't feel good. Whether I have good health, whether I don't have good health. Those are external things. They don't determine who I am. God has determined who I am. And so therefore, I can go through all of these things and not feel insecure about my salvation. We don't want you to feel insecure about your salvation because I can tell you, you're all going to go through cycles like this. You're going to feel like, my goodness, our family is clicking on all cylinders. We got everything lined up. We got all of our bills paid and we're doing great. And, you know, dad's got a promotion on, on the job. And, uh, you know, all the kids are sort of respectful and, uh, well, sort of. And, you know, we're, we're just, we're just kind of one of those families that people actually, actually, for a moment, might actually look up to. <clears throat> and then there's times when nothing seems to go right. There are times when, uh, you know, our, our livelihood is threatened. There are times when our health is compromised. There are times when our kids get really bad attitudes. And what Paul is saying is that you're going to go through all of this in life. Life will give you those things. You'll only have them in this life. You won't have those cycles in the life to come. But in this life, you'll have them. But they do not determine whether you're a child of God or not. God determines that, and it begins with a new birth, right? We're okay with that? So... <clears throat> Paul, or sorry, Brother Branham also, uh, he, he talks about this experience. And this is the one I told you where he was, had a room that was by the pool in that Ramada Inn. He was speaking to the full gospel businessman. And uh, he's asking God the question, why should I speak to my sisters the way that I do? And all these women were out in the swimming pool out here and, uh, you know, dressed in an in a ungodly way, we'll say. And he said, just as sweetly, he said, that voice said to me, I don't want my children looking like that. So... There's a couple of different things we can learn from that, but one of them is, is that God thinks that preaching actually does make a difference. You know what? Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? But this is what, this is what Brother Bram's. I, I think that's a little bit of what he's telling us here, is that uh, God's defense, uh, God's way of dealing with, with the immorality that abounds in our world is to preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. In other words, tell them when they want to hear it and tell them when they don't. Just say it, preach it, and don't say it with any compromise at all. Don't be influenced not to say it, but say it. Because you know what? The foolishness of preaching is what God's, it's a tool in God's hands that he uses to influence people and as a channel of the Holy Spirit. So we want to do that. Now, again, uh, Brother Branham uh, makes this statement, and this is a repeat. I, I gave you this statement, I think, last week. Uh, this was the portion of the question for the girls here. But I wanted to drop the last paragraph in on, on you again. God has one way of bringing light to you. 
well, hey, we ought to perk up here because if there's only one way, goodness, I want to get it. I'm glad there's not a dozen ways. There is only one way. And that's when you're ready to separate yourself from all the things of the world and all the cares of the world. And by the way, in the scripture, when you hear that word and Jesus talks about the seeds that were sown, remember? And he says some of them were choked by the cares of life. Remember that? And then he says, cast all your cares upon me because he cares for you. Remember that? We find the word cares many times in the scripture. I'm not saying Brother Bam's words are like scripture here, but I'm just saying that the word care in the Bible means anxiety. So, hey, listen, we have lots of things we're concerned about in life, but they all don't bring anxiety. Anxiety is a different conversation, right? But here's what Brother Branham's telling us, that God has one way of bringing light to you, and that's when you're ready to separate yourself from all the things of the world and the cares of the world and cling only to God's promised word. So to me, in order to get what we need from God, one of the things we have to do is surrender what we already know. You've got to be willing to surrender what doesn't line up with God's word. And you know what? I would be willing to say, I'm not a betting person, but I'd be willing to say that all of us have things we probably need to surrender. We have attitudes, we have beliefs, we have thoughts, we have opinions of ourselves, we have opinions of other people. There's a lot of things, really, when you think about it, that would be good for us just simply to lay down and surrender. And you've got, in order to get something from God, you've got to learn to surrender what you know uh, and, and, and pick up that which is according to the Word of God. I've talked to many people who have left churches where they taught squirrely things. And what I, what I mean by that is maybe they came out of a church with false doctrine or uh, something wacky going on in that church, and they come, into another, they come into another church. And I've talked to many of them who've come to my church. And I always sit down and say to them the same thing. That because that the, the gospel was preached to you in a slanted way, and I'm trying to be nice, but it was like somebody put on a pair of sunglasses that was maybe blue. And everything you see is blue in that church because that's the filter that that minister put up in front of you. And so that's the way you're seeing everything. When you get out of that environment, you come out from underneath that and you take off the blue glasses and you're, oh, wow. Everything looks different, but you know what? Most people are still hanging on to interpretations of Scripture that they heard over and over and over and over again under that influence. So I always advise them to do this. Lay it all down. Go at it like you don't know anything. This is your first day in church. And begin to pick up only that which is Bible. Pick up things that you know come straight from God, straight from a prophet. That's what you want to do. And begin to reaccumulate the understanding of God's word. But you cannot take all of the perverted ideas and reform them. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work because there's a spirit behind all of it. So we have to learn to surrender in order for us to pick back up. And, and here's what uh, Paul writes as well to the Corinthian church. Because remember now, the Corinthian church, uh, they were uh, people who were pretty stuck on themselves. They were pretty proud of their knowledge. They are pretty proud of their physique. They are pretty proud of their culture. Uh, they they kind of thought they had it all made. And come to find out, they didn't. And Paul writes, he said, for it is written, and by the way, this is chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. So this is the first thing he wants them to understand. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish 
the wisdom of this world? You know what? No matter how smart you think you are, God really does no more than you do. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world, by wisdom, knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So God can take a man like Brother Branham, and he can take, uh, you know, different people that he's used through the ages, and, uh, you know, he can confound people who consider themselves absolutely knowledgeable, intellectual, uh, full of wisdom and so forth, and confound them with revelation, because revelation is not knowledge. I said revelation is not knowledge. And so when a man is anointed to do that, uh, God can actually make the, the wisdom of this world seem like foolishness. And God, God can turn it around. Not that he wants to ridicule anybody, but he wants you to make sure that you're leaning on the right arms of understanding. Lean not on your own arms, but lean on his arms. Isn't that right? So you want, there, there's lots of opinions, there's lots of ideas, all kinds of churches have different views. But let me tell you, there is a right one. There's, there's a, a way that God has ordained. You want to make sure you're leaning on that one. Are we okay? I'm just preambling here. But let's take a look here at this phrase, the perfect man. Now, in this adoption teaching here, we're talking about how to become, if we're good, we want to become gooder. If we are uh, if we got a lot of flaws, we want to become good. We, we want to improve. Every one of us would want to improve, right? Yeah. Every one of us would want to improve, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm about 37.5%. So let me just say it again. Every one of us really would want to do better in our walk and our... Ex- yeah, sure. All right. There we go. Now, now, now we're 89%, David. That's good. So... David writes in Psalm 37, I like this, he says, Mark the perfect man. Observe the perfect man. Now, when, I, when I read that, my antennas go up. And behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. You take a man who has peace. He's happy in every situation he finds himself in. Not happy as in bubbly, perhaps. But, you know, he realizes that no matter where I go, God's with me. No matter what I face... God's got an answer. No matter how much is against me, my God is more powerful than them. That's a peace that passes understanding. And when you have a man of peace, he can be, he can be in college, he can be in war, he can be in uh, you know, a, a dangerous situation, he can be in a squabble with people, doesn't matter. He knows that God is never far from him. And that's a man of peace. Now watch this perfect man, David says, and behold him, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together, and the end of the wicked shall be cut off. And the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord, and so forth. And he, just, he goes on to describe. What's interesting is the definition of the word perfect. And it means one who lacks nothing in physical strength and beauty. In other words, he's got two arms. He's got uh, two ears. You know, I, I'm not a math guy. But uh, I know enough about numbers to know this. That in God's design, without asking anybody... He gave us all how many ears? Say it with me. Two. How many mouths did he give you? Chances are he probably wants you to listen twice as much as... I'm not a math guy, but I'd just kind of be willing to say that he made you the way he did on purpose. And a perfect man, we say he's got all of his faculties. He's got all of it there. He is also, in the last line, one who is morally and ethically pure. So in other words, he strives to live 
in a way that aligns with God's word. But I like the second uh, definition here. He's an ordinary, quiet sort of a person, morally innocent, and he has integrity. You know what? That doesn't mean that he's a prophet. That doesn't mean he has this, uh, he's always on a pinnacle uh, of life with, with God. It doesn't mean that he has a pillar of fire over his head every day. You know what? He's just one of us. He's every man. Come on, folks. Don't, you, I, hey, we all make mistakes. Ordinary people make mistakes. But what David is describing is a man, you know what? He just knows his God cannot fail. He's a man of peace. And the end, the, at the end of the day, a, man, a perfect man is a man who, uh, you know, he can lose everything. But he's still got a peace with God. And you know what? If you've got peace with God, and you've got a right standing with God, and you've got a true relationship with God, you're going to be all right. Can we look at some perfect men? Now, <clears throat> all of us are put on the earth for a reason. Every church is put, on, put in motion for a reason. Those reasons may not be eternal when you're talking about churches. However, God's got a purpose for every one of us. God knew you to be functional like all the parts of your body serve a, f- a function. They, they perform a function, they serve a purpose. All the parts of your body. And they climbed up, Brother Branham said, in the upper room and they stayed there cowardly, Close the doors, windows locked, praying real low to themselves, hiding from the Jews until the Holy Ghost fell. And then there came from heaven a mighty rushing wind and so forth. And if you're ready, he said, to be led by the Holy Spirit, mind him, obey him, and do what you can for him. When you see a place that you could be used, let God use you in that. When you see a place that God could use you, Let God use you. I don't know. Uh, You may not be a preacher. Might not be a singer. Might not be a piano player. But you make a real good salary. You know what? You're necessary. You may not make a real good salary. You may not be a piano player. You may not be the preacher. may never sing a special in your life. But you know what? There are some people who have a spirit of hospitality. We need you. All these single fellows with stomachs. Need you. There's a use for everyone in the body. I told you before, I I mentioned to you before, when I was a young preacher starting out, I preached my first public sermon in the Log Cabin Church in Cloverdale, Brother Biscoll's church, my very first public sermon. And when I was leaving Vancouver that time, and I seriously... This close came close to moving there. They invited me to move there and the minister out of that church. And I almost did. But I met my wife. And then life changed for the better. But on my way leaving Vancouver, I was flying back to Newfoundland, and on my way, Brother Biscoll said, hey, why don't I take you to the airport? I said, great. So we had about an hour and a half, he and I, an hour and a half in the car, we're just driving along and, and going to Vancouver Airport. And uh, I, I said what every young preacher always asks somebody like Brother Biscoll when you're alone for an hour and a half. The, every preacher on, on the face of the earth would ask somebody like that this question. What would you do if you were me? 
And that's a summary of the question. That's a shortened version. But if you were me and starting out in ministry and not married and, uh, you know, just kind of looking for God to place me in one place or another, and like, I, I feel like my life's laid out ahead of me. And, you know, if you were me, what would you, you know, what would you put emphasis on? What would you, what would you do? His answer stunned me. His answer blew me away. And he simply said right away, he said, if I were you, I'd get out of debt. I said, really? He said, if you, if you have a financial uh, encumbrance, in other words, you're, you're, you're bogged down where you have to work because you have debt, car payments, or whatever else, he said, you're going to find it more difficult to move when God wants, you to, God wants to move you. Huh. That's not the answer I thought was coming. That's not what at all I expected. However, now I find out that was really good advice. That was really good advice. Because you want to, if I understand this right, you want to position yourself in a way that God can use you. Well, you don't want to be encumbered with the thing that makes that harder to do. You want to make it easier for God to move you. Let me tell you something. You young people, you don't want to marry the wrong person. It'll tie you down in ways you never expected. You don't want to become uh, overextended in debt. You don't want to, uh, you know, choose things that uh, you're doing because everybody else is doing. You want to position yourself wherever that is and however that is where God wants to use you and then let him use you. I remember many of my early years, I traveled and worked with Brother Hildebrand overseas. He, he and I uh, traveled extensively in certain parts of the world. I had a lot of time to spend with him. And he gave me advice that really helped me as well. And he told me, he said, as I was telling him, you know, I was, I was trying to pastor the church. And I, I was, I was uh, you know, on the field a little bit with him. Not, not very often, but as often as uh, I was able to do it. And traveling a little bit and ministering in different places. And and we just had a little small tiny church. And I said, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just really struggling with trying to balance all of those things. And he told me a little piece of advice that I've, I've still applied today. He said, you watch in your ministry what God is blessing. Stand back. Not what you want to do, but what is God blessing? What is God actually uh, prospering in your ministry? And what is he blessing abundantly, clearly, in your ministry? He said, when you, when you can identify that, he said, just kind of lean that way. And watch what God does. I still, I still practice that. I still practice that. I wouldn't, we, let me tell you, we wouldn't be printing books if, if God didn't bless it. If God didn't bless it, why do you want to do something that God doesn't bless? You want to be in a position where if God can use that, Lord, we're in place here. we got everything in place here. And Lord, this is yours. This is not ours. This is yours. So we, we, we position ourselves to be able to do a function or a purpose here for God. You understand my point? That even if you're a layman, you want to position yourself, uh, do, I, do I want to be in college? Well, there may not be a need. Do I need, do I need to uh, goof off for four years and do nothing? Well, that's probably not going to be very useful either. You want to just stop for a minute, turn off your phone, and just begin to think about, Lord, what, what spot do you want me to be in that makes it easier for you to use me when you're ready? It's not complicated. And that's what he's telling us here. He said, I believe the Holy Spirit's here now to lead us. And if God led you out here, he brought you out for a purpose. If God led you out somewhere, there's got to be a purpose for that. That was for something he could give to you and he wants to use you. Now, he mentions several different things. Now, let me, let me switch gears. All right, stay with me. 
You remember this little parable. Let me remind you again, though, Matthew chapter 21. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go to work today in my vineyard. And he said, Hey, no way. But afterwards, he repented, and he went. And he came to the second, and he said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain, which of the two did the will of his father? They said unto him, The first. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and when ye had seen it, repented not afterwards that ye might believe him. Wow. How would you like to be in that congregation? Because they're kind of thinking that they're mouthing the right words and saying the right thing, but in their heart they're not really doing the right thing. Enter Rehoboam. <clears throat> many, many years ago, I was on a plane from Russia to Siberia. And on my way back from there, I, it was like 3 o'clock in the morning. It was an ungodly time. And I'm coming back. The only thing I have uh, with me uh, in my hand is my Bible. Everything else is, is packed away, and I have my Bible. I began to read the stories of, the, uh, of 1 Kings, 1 Samuel, and, and so on. The revelations God gave me on that plane are what I'm telling you tonight. That was pfft, when Peter was 14 years old, perhaps. He was with me in Siberia. And th these things are, are just, uh, it's just amazingly fresh to me because it was just such a light went on when I began to see this. Solomon is in the last years of his life. If you don't mind, this is where you need to take your Bible and go to 1 Kings chapter 11. I want to show you four things in the chapter of 1 Kings chapter 11. When you have it, say amen. First Kings chapter 11. I'm going to go anyway. Verse 1. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, the women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edenites, Sidonians, and Hittites. We know the end result of this. He got messed up. He had all kinds of temples, all kinds of churches, all kinds of doctrines, all kinds of things going on. And it was pretty confusing. And it says, verse 4, that when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord God, as was the heart of David, his father. So there was something about the effect of all of these uh, different women that, that they had on Solomon uh, that, that really led him astray. Okay, now, as a result of that, and without, without going into great detail, verse 9 says, The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which, he had, appeared, which had appeared unto him twice. Now look, in other words, if anyone, if anyone should have known better, should have been Solomon. This says that God actually showed up in person twice, not once, but twice in front of Solomon. Solomon knew there was a God. And God says, man, this is not good. Here's what God does. Look at verse 14. And the Lord stirred up an adversary unto Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. 
He was of the king's seed in Edom. It gives all of the description of Hadad as we go down through in the end of the chapter there. And the Bible says essentially that Hadad was a mischief maker. That's what the Bible says. He was a guy who knew how to cause trouble. He was a pain in the neck. I mean, that's the way the Bible describes him. Because he was raised up as an adversary. Now, you don't want to be used as an adversary, but that's what God did. And you know what? God stirred this man up. 23. And God stirred up another adversary, Rezon, the son of Elida, which fled from his lord, Hadarezer, king of Zobah. We don't know much about what this guy did, Rezon, but he was in, in the kind of same spirit as Hadad, and 25 says he was an adversary to Israel all the days of Solomon, besides the mischief that Hadad did. And he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. Wow. He just became a thorn in the side of Solomon. Why, did, why, why are these guys even mentioned here? Because God stirred them up as adversaries. Now, I, 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 let's, let's go to the next verse. I'm in verse 26 here. And Jeroboam, the son of Nebath, an Ephrathite, meaning he was born in Ephrathah, which is in the tribe of Benjamin. Remember when they went to slay all the little babies back in the days of Jesus' birth? Remember that? O Bethlehem of Ephrathah. That's, that's where he was from. Jeroboam was born there. Solomon's servant, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow woman, even he lifted up his hand against the king. Jeroboam. So now... <clears throat> The story starts out here where Solomon has three adversaries because he's grieved the Lord. And these three men cause havoc and disruption and turmoil and pestilence for Solomon all the days of his life. Finally, at the end of that chapter, it says in verse 43, Solomon slept with his fathers. It's a nice way of saying he died. And he was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned and he said. So don't get too angry with Solomon because I believe he'll be there when we get there. Yeah, I, I hope you believe that as well. But he died and Rehoboam took over because Rehoboam was his son. Now, Rehoboam uh, was, uh, he, he's kind of an important person because he comes in at this particular junction in time. Now, remember now, in adoption, as we're talking about, is learning how the father would do it. Well, we want to make... If, if Rehoboam's the king, we don't want him to be doing things the way Solomon did it, especially in the end of his life, because, my goodness, he, he was influenced in the wrong way. So we want Rehoboam to rise above that, don't we? We want Rehoboam to kind of do better than what Solomon did the last of his days. But there's another character in here that we just mentioned is Jeroboam. Jeroboam, is, uh, he's a servant of Solomon and served in Solomon's court. So I need you to follow with me now a little bit in the scripture, and I'm going to ask you to turn to a couple of places here. But the Bible said that when Rehoboam was installed as a king, uh, they, they came, the elders came to him and they said, hey, are you going to carry on with the government uh, like Solomon had? Are you going to do things the way Solomon did? And Rehoboam says, hey, come back in three days and I'll tell you whether I am or not. And he consults with the elders, and the elders said, yeah, you know, Solomon was misled in the last days of his life, but he ran a good kingdom. He had a lot of money, had a lot of things happening, built a great temple, and he, he got a lot of things right. So it would be good to kind of follow after that model. 
Rehoboam listens to that, and then he, he, he consults his buddies. He calls up his buddies, and his buddies all come in, and uh, they sit down together, and they decide to advise Rehoboam and say, man, I wouldn't be doing it like Solomon did. I would make it even harder and demand more taxes from the people and make it more strict and build up the revenue of the, of the kingdom and so forth. We would make it even harder for the people. The Bible says in verse 6, And King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men that stood before Solomon. And they said, well, this is what we would do. And then he forsook, the Bible says in, in chapter uh, 10, verse 8, he forsook the counsel which the old men gave and took counsel with the young men. And this is the advice uh, that they gave. Rehoboam decided to side with that advice and uh, took that course and made the yoke heavier for the people. The bottom of the screen, for whereas my father put a heavy yoke upon you, I will put uh, more to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. Now, here's where the story gets really interesting. How many of you want to be a perfect man? You want to be in a position where God can use you, right? Okay, here's someone who did. <clears throat> now, Jeroboam's a servant. And... Uh, when he finds out that Rehoboam is the king, he gets out of the country because he knows, man, uh, I was actually promoted to, uh, in his day, he was promoted to be the governor of Judah. And so he's in a pretty good position. And that would be a direct competition to the throne because, because Genesis 49 still is in place. Godly kings come out of Judah. Right? That's what Jacob said to his dying sons on his deathbed. Everybody still follow me. Just do something. So Jeroboam figures out, man, if Rehoboam's the king and he's acting this way, I better get out of town. So he gets, he gets on his camel. Off he goes to Egypt. <clears throat> the people in Israel are so upset with Rehoboam because he's just making life harder. And you know what? There was rumors and murmurings among the people. And they decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to split off from Rehoboam. We're going to make ourselves our own kingdom. And all these rumors circulated, even as far as Egypt. Jeroboam finds out that they're actually thinking of splitting. Guess who shows up back on the scene? The Jeroboam. He's back in front of the crowd. And the people say, we're going to split off from Rehoboam. And <clears throat> Jeroboam's standing in the sidelines. He's walking across the field one day, going home. I'm paraphrasing. And he meets a prophet, Ahijah. And, and the prophet Ahijah hmm. Why don't any of you brothers wear jackets on Wednesday nights? Daniel, give me your jacket for a second. It's not valuable or precious to you or anything, is it? Okay, good. I'd like to cut it up into 12 pieces. Cohen, stand up. So here's Ahijah and, and the prophet, and he, and he meets he meets. Jeroboam walking across the field. So Jeroboam's walking across the field. 
And Ahijah comes up and steps up. And he says, you, sir, have been chosen by God. And he takes, the Bible says he actually takes the coat off him like that and does this number, rip, and rips it into 12 pieces, throws it on the ground, all 12. And he takes two and lays them aside. And he said, you are now the king over 10 of these tribes. God kept one for himself, Judah, and he also kept Jerusalem because he made that promise to David. So those two, kings stay, those two kingdoms stay with Rehoboam, and you have got the other ten. You are chosen by God to reign over those twelve. So Jeroboam's, hey, whoa. I mean, talk about your life changing in 15 minutes. <clears throat> he didn't ask for this. He was chosen for this. Would you bring that back to Daniel? Thank you. So Jeroboam, he figures, wow. He goes like this. Whoa. I'm the king. Now he's in a position where he could really be used by God. He's in a position where he could really do great things with, for God. But the Bible says, and I'm going to paraphrase here for time. The Bible says that he got afraid of losing his kingdom. What if Rehoboam repents? What if Rehoboam makes things right? He says, yes, like the parable that Jesus gave. He says, yes, I'll be the king. But then he, he decides, if Rehoboam gets things right, gets back on the right track, you know what? God's going to put all this back together, and guess who's going to be the king? Not me, it's going to be him. And he didn't give me Jerusalem, so if the people want to go to church, you know what? They're going to wind up going to Jerusalem. And as soon as they see Jerusalem in the great temple, Solomon's temple, which was still glorious at this particular point, they see that, my goodness. They're all going to want to go back and say, why don't we all become one and why don't we all go back and join together again? The people are going to join back with Rehoboam again. And so I'll lose my throne. I'll lose my job. I'll lose the, the taxes and all the, all the big benefits of being the king. So he's working now to try to preserve himself a throne so that no matter what happens, I'll have my job. Immediately now, and here's the point I want to make. He's doing things not the Father's way. He's doing things His way in order to preserve His position. Now let me tell you, if God's put you in a position, you don't need to fight to preserve that. God will fight for you. How could a prophet stand against every denomination on earth by himself without any education or anything else? You know how come he was successful? You know how come the message still thrives? It's because God was in it. Not because Brother Random was super smart or super strong or anything else. Because God was in it. And if God's in it, you know what? He'll defend it. I say this, God is still big enough to defend his message. He doesn't need us to try to figure out how to denominate and protect this and protect that and uh, uh, maneuver things. Hey, listen, this is his message. This is his word. This is his bride. God knows how to look after her. But Jeroboam says, I'll tell you what I'll do. And this is what he's thinking in his heart. And I can show you in the Bible where he says in his heart, I'll establish two altars in different places besides Jerusalem. One will be in Dan and one will be in the south. Dan is in the north and he established another uh, altar in the south. And so instead of going to Jerusalem, the people will be able to go five tribes this way, five tribes this way. And they'll be able to, uh, they'll be able to... Uh, uh, worship there and not cross over into Jerusalem and I'll still be king. 
So at one particular convention, Jeroboam is standing by the side of one of these altars. And as he's standing there by the altar, there's a prophet who doesn't have a name. He's anointed to go up to Jeroboam and say something to him. You're Jeroboam, come on up here. Stand up right here by the altar, if you will. Third step. He's on the third step. This is the altar. Put your arm on the altar there. Good. So this prophet with no name, he comes up all of a sudden. He says, oh, king, oh, king, oh, altar. And he cries out against the altar. And he says, the Lord God has said, you, you, you know, to build an altar in a place that he has not ordained, he's got a place of worship in a place that God hasn't chosen. We're supposed to worship in God's chosen place of worship, right? And he says, you've got two altars. And he says, this day, this day, uh, he said that altar will split in two and the ashes will pour out on the ground. I'm paraphrasing. But he said that altar is going to be destroyed and God's going God's to take care of it, knock it all down. And the king obviously is upset with that and he makes a lunge for this prophet, this young guy with no name. And he makes a lunge. Make a lunge. Don't come at me. But make a lunge. And when he makes the lunge and reaches out for him like this, his hand goes withered. Immediately his hand goes withered. Withered. <laughs> <laughs> And, and the king is shocked because now he's, he's locked in this position. He can't straighten out his hand. And this young prophet says, he says, don't worry, king, and reaches out and touches the king's arm, and the king's arm comes back to normal. Huh? I'm paraphrasing, but it's all in there. And the king immediately says to the young prophet, do you want a job? That's what he says. Do you want to come work with us? We need a guy like you. We need a guy who's got that kind of power. And he immediately tries to hire the young prophet. The young prophet says, hey, I can't, uh, I can't stay. God told me to come in, curse the altar. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, when, when that's done, he says that I'm to leave town. So I'm to leave town. And right in the middle of all of that conversation, the altar actually splits in two. And the ashes come out on the ground. And the sacrifice is on the ground. It doesn't matter to the king. He says, hey, we need a guy like you. A guy that's got that kind of power instantly. We need to hire you. And the, and the young prophet says, no, can't do it. i got to keep going on my way. God told me to get out of town and go. And he goes and uh, leaves town. Now, you, for you Bible readers... That's when an older prophet comes and meets that younger prophet and says to him, God told me to tell you to come to my house and have supper. And he says, well, hey, God didn't tell me that. Oh, he says, I'm the older prophet, so God told me to come and get you to come to my house. And so he was lying. And when he comes back to the house, <clears throat> the old man actually prophesies to the young man and says, you didn't do what I told you. He says, therefore, this day you'll die. And the young man gets up. Imagine now, the man who lied to the young prophet actually prophesies the truth Aren't you glad we have an absolute in our day? I mean, pfft, all this stuff happening here. And the old man who lied to him prophesies the truth to the young man. The young man is shocked by that, gets up, walks out of the house, goes down the road, and a lion kills him and just sits by the carcass. The man is dead. The old man feels bad. <laughs> it's an understatement. And he goes and gets the young prophet, brings him back, and buries him in a proper burial. Thank you. I think I'm the only preacher who has a rock from that altar. The last time I was in Israel, I went to that place where Jeroboam offered sacrifices, and I reached down when no one was looking and got myself a rock from that very site. I covet this rock. You can't have it. You can't have it either. 
but this is a rock from that place because there's nothing left but a pile of stones there. They haven't marked, you know, with a marking, but there's nothing left in that place. <clears throat> One man says in the parable that Jesus gave, will you go and do this for me? And he says, no, I'm not going to do it. But he winds up doing the right thing. He asks the other son, will you do this? And he says, sure, but he doesn't do it. What's interesting, Rehoboam does actually repent. Rehoboam actually makes things right. And Rehoboam begins to settle down and do things the father's way. And the Bible says that when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he gathered of the house of Judah and Benjamin, 104 score thousand chosen men, which were warriors to fight against Israel, that he might bring again the kingdom to Rehoboam. Don't lose me here. Notice what that verse says. Rehoboam assembles an army to fight against Jeroboam to make sure Rehoboam has the kingdom. That's what it's saying. So Rehoboam is going to march against Jeroboam and all of his, all of his tribes. We're going we're to fight this thing out. We're going to get it back. But the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, the man of God, and said, Speak unto Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, the king of Judah, and all Israel in Judah, and Benjamin, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Ye shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren. Return every man to his house, for this thing is done of me. And they obeyed the words of the Lord, and they returned from going against Jeroboam. So in the end of his days, Rehoboam actually begins to do things the father's way. When the word of a prophet comes, Rehoboam says, all right, I'll stop. When God directs him to do something, he's actually doing the right thing. The opposite is true of Jeroboam. You understand what I'm saying? And Jesus says when you have this, uh, in that parable that he says, one son says, no, I'm not going to do it. But then he repents and he does it right. And another son says, well, sure, I'll do it, but doesn't do it at all. He does something completely different. So here's two men that are chosen to do a job. And one of them does things eventually the father's way. And the Bible says, uh, once, this, uh, once this took place with Rehoboam, in 2 Chronicles 11, it says, So they strengthened the king of, kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam the son of Solomon strong. When, Sol when Rehoboam began to get it right, they, they, were act you know, they, they actually made Rehoboam strong. And so he became a good king, good leader. He was a just leader. And he lived for three more years, and three years they walked in the way of David and Solomon. So he actually got the, got, got the tribes back on the right path. But he had to go through this process of learning to do it the father's way. Jeroboam died. Jeroboam died and died a, a death that was certainly not noble. Uh, he, did not, he did not follow God's way. He immediately, in the position that he was in, he used it to solidify his future. He devised a plan to protect his future. Let me tell you again, if you're a child of God, you don't need to, you don't need to worry about protecting your future. God's already got your future determined. Do you believe that? God's already got a plan. God's already got it figured out. You need to use the, uh, the, the gray matter between your two ears. You need to uh, make good decisions, best decisions that you possibly can, because every one of us are faced with choices continually. But as you learn and grow in the process of adoption, you know what? You're going to find that God will guide you if you put your trust in him. Isaiah chapter 58. And the Lord shall guide thee continually. And the Lord shall guide thee continually. 
I want you to say that with me, but I want you to put the word me in there instead of thee. Okay? Let's do it. And the Lord shall guide me continually. Say it again. That's good. And the Lord shall guide me continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden and a spring of water whose waters fail not. That's Isaiah. Here's Brother Branham. Their works testify of a new spirit within them. Just talk about the New Testament believers. He said, yes, sir. If you're a Christian, you're going to do what's right. Somebody ought to say amen. amen. If you're a Christian, you're going to do what's right. Now, I want you to say this. I'm going to say the first part. If you're a Christian, then you're going to say, I will do what's right. All right, here we go. If you're a Christian, I will do what's right. Let's do that again. If you're a Christian, not because you have to, not because the Holy Spirit's standing there with a big wooden spoon, but rather because he's put a spirit within you that causes you to follow his word, that causes you to fall in love with the, with the ordinances of God, that causes you to delight to do whatever God says. It's not because I have to. It's not because if I don't, I'll get caught. It's not because, well, Brother Barry will say something to me if I don't show up. That's not why we're here. We should be here because we love to come and gather with God's people and hear something from God, even if it's only a sentence or two. You know what? It's good to hear from God. It's good to be edified in God's presence. It's good to worship together. And I want to come. I may not understand everything. I kind of wish Brother Barry, Brother Barry would get off the adoption thing or whatever else. But you know what? If you open your heart and mind, there's something in every service for every one of us. God wants you to learn. God wants you to, if you're good, he wants you to be gooder. If you're, if you're not where you ought to be, God wants you to help get you where you ought to be. He says, I will guide thee continually with my word, with my light. And David said in Psalm 40, I delight to do thy will, O oh my God. Thy law is within my heart. When his word is living within your heart, there's a like about following his word. It's not a, I gotta do it. It's a, it's a love that you have for God. Uh, listen, we don't always feel like it. We don't always feel like we're on top of the, top of the world. But I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this. I often pray and I say, Lord, look at my desire. My desire is to be better. My desire is to do better. My desire is to live the way you want me to live. My desire is to get it right. So you have to let patience have her perfect work. You have to let patience get established in your life. Like James says, that ye may be perfect. Mark the perfect man, David says. The perfect man and patience go together. Let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, that give it to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, that it shall be given unto him. Brother Ram said God's will is perfection for us, and that perfection is patience, waiting on God and waiting for God, and that's the process of character development. A lot of times you'll ask the question, Lord, this is what lays before me, and if it's not your will, then throw something in front of me, and if not, I'll assume it's your will. Better be careful with that. It's kind of like laying a fleece. And laying a fleece worked okay with Gideon back in the Old Testament, but it's better to live in the Spirit. I said it's better to live in the Spirit. Amen. And not play roulette with God's Word 
It's a good thing for us to seek God's will and to know exactly what God would have us to do and exactly how God would want us to live. Let me tell you, God tries us in these, in these decisions. God, uh, God, God is willing to test us in these things. And sometimes patience is where you, uh, where you possess your soul. Patience is where a lot of this stuff actually proves out. God says, in, or sorry, David says in Psalm 32, he says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding. Matt, if you'd come on and musicians, you just slip up here. Be ye not as the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle. You know what? God doesn't treat us that way. God does not treat us like horses and mules. God doesn't force us to go this way or that way. We have a lot of choices. In our Christian walk, we have a lot of choices. Are you going to be like Jeroboam? Are you going to be like Rehoboam? Are you going to learn the Father's way? We're not going to learn the Father's way. Both of them were chosen on the basis of God's choosing. And here's a prophet giving Jeroboam ten pieces of his robe. Ten pieces of Daniel's robe. And, and hands them to him. In other words, God gives him this position. God gives him this opportunity. And he takes it and turns it into self-preservation. Not what God wanted done with it at all. Truth is, he had a real choice in front of him. Truth is, he squandered that choice. Rehoboam looked at it, didn't get it right at first, but eventually came to the place where, you know what, if a prophet tells me something, I ought to listen to that. <laughs> and here we are in the days when a prophet still speaks. Probably would be good for all of us to listen. would be good for us to listen. Probably would be good for us to take heed to what a prophet said. According to your word, O oh Lord,
say this. As we wait, Lord, and as we pray, speak your word, Lord, into my heart. time. Just close your eyes and worship it now tonight. Have your way, Lord Jesus. Have your way. Yes, have your way. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts to do what I know comes from you. You've made your word very clear, your, your commandments very clear. Give me the strength to do it, Lord, when I know it's coming from you. That's when we feel the worst, when we know it's what God wants and we fail to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you see hands raised. Lord, my hands are raised. I, I know, Lord, that every one of us, our desire would be, Lord, to do, to do your will. And Lord, not just to say it and then walk away from it, but to actually do your will. And Lord, I, I just pray that you would give us as a, as a people strength, Lord, to do what we know, what we know pleases you. What we know is your will. Father, help us, I pray. Help us, Lord, in that area of our lives. Lord, And for some people it might be a, a different problem that they struggle with, Lord. And sometimes, Lord, it's for people having the boldness to stand to the forefront 
Lord, whatever it is in our lives, help us, Lord, to have the strength to do what we know, we know clearly you have told us. We want to be right, Lord, in every way. And Father, I pray now that you would just speak to every one of us here tonight, Lord. As we leave here, Lord, may we be encouraged in knowing that you said you would guide us with your eye. You'd be with us continually. You'd never leave us. Lord, I pray for those who are sick tonight. We remember again those names that we mentioned, Lord, earlier. We think, Lord, of little Christian. We think of William. Lord, uh, Peter and his family. Lord, just so many others that, that need your touch tonight. Father, we commit them into your care. People who are listening, Lord, on the Internet tonight, we just ask that you would reach out through the waves, Lord, and minister to their hearts as they're reaching out to you. Bless this assembly, Lord. May we always, always find in our hearts, Lord, a spirit of obedience to do, Lord, what your word commands us. We love you and we thank you and ask your blessing upon the people now in the balance of our week. In Jesus Christ's lovely name, we pray. We pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Singing as you go tonight, I feel like going on. I feel like.